Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Tyler Goodrow. Tyler is currently a catching coach. He has his own facility in Omaha, Nebraska. Tyler played professionally for five years, um, has a unique college experience, was bounced around at a few different schools, including a big-time SEC school. And he really gets into the nuances of catching in this episode. A lot of things have changed in the in the catching world as more analytics and technology have come out to be able to measure what's truly important. So we get into pop times, blocking, what you should be doing on a regular basis, how Tyler trains his players at his facility. It's really good stuff. If, if you're interested in catching um, in any sort of capacity, this is going to be an episode for you to stick around and listen to. I'd like to thank the uh, sponsor of this podcast, Axbat. Um, please head on over to axbat.com and type in code PJBBCORE20 for 20% off any BB Core Axbat. Huge believer in Axbat. Been using it since I was a, a player, even use it still now as a coach just to experiment with drills. Uh, it saved my hand. Literally, I couldn't swing a bat for a while, and it really just helps me stay compact, increase my bat speed, and just overall efficiency as a hitter. So, axbat.com, type in code PJBBCORE20. I'll put that link in the show notes, and you'll receive 20% off any BB Core Axbat. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Tyler Goodrow. All right, we're now live. Uh, Tyler, appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Appreciate it. So you're out in Omaha. I'm a big Omaha fan. I have a bunch of uh, family out in Omaha, a bunch of relatives, Creighton alums. Um, so what, give me a little bit of your background. Are you born and raised in Omaha, a Creighton prep type of guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Born in the heartland here and uh, grew up you know, in the Mecca of college baseball, I guess you call it, um, getting to watch college world series as a youngster and, and still to this day, uh, follow the college game a lot. Um, but yeah, I went to Creighton prep. We had some pretty good teams there and, uh, my signed a letter of intent, spent my fall, my freshman year at the university of Arkansas, pretty surreal experience there to uh, be a sec commit. Um, at that time, you know, Arkansas was a top 25 team. Now, you, I mean, people can say they're probably a top five team in the country every year. Uh, you know, it didn't work out for me there. I, I was behind some, some uh, very talented um, and, and good ball players, good catchers in front of me. So I transferred to a Juco, spent a year and a half at a Juco, um, had some good, good success there. We were, went to the Juco World Series, uh, finished uh, nationally since ranked, you know, California does their own thing. And, and there's a, you know, Obviously, the, the rest of the country does, you know, read, um, JUCO. And uh, after that, I went to the University of Cincinnati, got, got my degree from there, um, played on another really good team. We had some really good guys around us. Um, Josh Harrison comes to mind, a teammate of mine that's in the big leagues. And um, after that, I uh, wanted to continue to play. So was fortunate enough that there's an NAI program back here in, in Omaha, um, called Bellevue University and I was down there working out just keep myself in shape and befriended somebody that had uh, that was a Dominican player uh, his dad had ties to the Los Angeles Dodgers and um, ultimately got me a non-drafted free agent contract with them spent uh, just a short amount of time spring training 
And uh, just, again, just wanted to continue to play, see how long I could take it. You know, everybody has the dream of playing at the big league level and um, played the, the rest of the years as a uh, independent player. Um, a lot of good players that you come across there, a lot of good people. And uh, from that point on, you know, after I was done, I was done in 2013, um, was always doing some instruction, some coaching in that matter. And, and then I, I've also uh, doubled as a uh, – a bird dog scout, uh, once with the, the twins and now with the Phillies. So, um, and then just, just run a catching academy here in, in Omaha, Nebraska. So you have firsthand experience of why choosing the biggest, uh, most glamorous school isn't always the best option for, for a kid. It is. It is. You know, it's, I tell everybody all the time, it's like you have to weigh options and you have to look at it. I chase the logo. I chased the success and growing up in Omaha didn't help. I don't think for me as, as a person in particular, just because that was our professional team. Yeah. We have the AAA uh, Royals affiliate here in Omaha, but for me, it was, I want to come home. I want to go away to school and I want to come back to a school that has, you know, a good percentage of making it to Omaha. And at that time, Arkansas in 2004 had made it. And in 2005, um, you know, we had a really good, they brought in a really good recruiting class and, you know, I, it's a different beast. I mean, people talk about SEC baseball as comparable to rookie ball or a ball or whatever you want to say. And it was a different beast. And for me, I just, to be quite frank and honest, I, I wasn't prepared for it. Did you ever think about going to Creighton? I did. I did. Uh, they had recruited me. Um, Nebraska had recruited me heavily. Uh, Baylor had recruited me heavily. Uh, K-State did. Uh, and then um, my dream school, again, you know, you always pick a team, I think, every year when, when the, the, the show, the best or the greatest show on dirt, they call it, comes to town. And, and I wanted to go to Stanford. And, and there was a, a, a connection at my high school um, that I graduated from, Kyle Peterson, who's um, obviously one of the, you know, most well-known college baseball analysts with ESPN. Um, his dad uh, actually made a phone call out to Stanford and, and they were recruiting me and I got to go to visit um, out of Palo Alto, a beautiful campus. And that was where my heart was set on. And tuition is extremely expensive there if you're out of state <laughs> for sure. Uh, but um, so I, I wanted to go somewhere, like I said, that had the best option, not to say that Creighton's not competitive, um, but I just wanted to go somewhere that I was able to come back and then they were going to roll out the red carpet and the parade and they're going to say, Hey, there's Tyler Goodrow. You know, uh, it was a very Eric, uh, you know, pompous type attitude that I had, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't regret the journey that I took to, to get where I'm at right now. Well, uh, first of all, I don't, I don't think there's any kid out there who doesn't probably think like that. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember I used to think like that too. And, Looking back, I would have went to that big school that that you know, like like in Arkansas, had I been offered. Just nobody just nobody offered me that was that big. So, <laughs> I, I think most most kids are in that in that boat. It's it's tough because they just they haven't been around, they haven't been on on this earth long enough to to really see beyond where they're at right now as a, a 15, 16, 17 year old. Um, do you help yeah, guide, do you help guide some of those, those kids now that you work with in the, in the recruiting process of just y the advice and what you went through? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just because I grew up 
not really getting that advice. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at today. And I think this is what has kind of helped me as an instructor. You know, I see vulnerable kids um, that aren't getting the right information, you know, or how to go about it. And I think that's one of the biggest things. And, and, and through my journeys too, like I said, I've tried to develop relationships myself. So I've been able to, uh, you know, have those conversations with coaches. What are, you, what are your needs? What are you looking for? And then try to compare it to, to what the strengths are of that player. And I think the number one thing too is, is that we, we forget to recognize, like I said, I chased that logo. Um, but how many people are invested here in where, where they grew up? Do they, do they want to stay? Do they want to move away, you know, 100 miles, you know, away from home? Um, do they want to have a plane ticket to get back home? What is it? And so I think in looking at that, that has to be the, the best suited for them. And it's not so much the best suited for, you know, and it has to be the best suit for the school too. There has to be a mutual marriage between the two. And so I try my best. I try to give the best advice possible. And I think what you're seeing now, um, you know, especially with how COVID has taken place, that not everybody has to go division one to be successful. You know, you can be a really good um, Juco player that goes division two. And Division II players can get scouted and picked up if that's your goal is to play professional baseball. You know, you can get an education anywhere, but some people don't continue on with it because they think, okay, if I don't make Division I, then I'm not that good of a player, which is, to me, is not true at all. No, no. We, we have guys even in our organization who are drafted as Division Three players and hit over 300 their first few years in the minor leagues and still – rolling strong so i mean you go anywhere and you dominate you're going to be seen it's just the 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 one good thing about technology is it seems like word gets out just quicker and quicker so i mean you go anywhere and you start you dominate these days it's not going to be like 25 years ago where you can be overlooked so yeah i I agree i totally agree with you um and even now i mean i've been trying to keep up with a little bit more of the the newer rules because of the coronavirus and stuff but i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure rosters are just filled to the brim if not even more so um do you stay in contact with anybody from college baseball i know like your uc coach isn't there anymore but just anybody across college baseball yeah i do uh and and a lot of the players that i keep in contact with are either college coaches now like a good friend of mine is the head coach in a d2 school out in south carolina so we talk on a regular basis uh his pitching coach is uh, a former pitcher on the staff oh, so wow. we we keep in contact i have friends that um you know in various areas you know i've developed relationships with coaches here um you know when i was when i got out uh <clears throat> you know from playing i got into a couple of youth organizations where i was helping so i befriended um assistant coach at, at notre dame and and he and i talk on a regular basis we talk about players so uh yeah again i think it's I think sometimes too, you know, we look at the numbers, we, we attack the numbers a whole lot. Oh, what is this guy's stats? Well, sometimes, you know, that guy can have a bad day, but what are his actions look like? What does he look like at a shortstop? What does he look like when he walks into the ballpark? I heard something just recently about Tim Corbin. Uh, Tim Corbin, you know, he'll sit in the parking lot when he's going to watch, watch players play and he'll wait until they all get in the ballpark because he want to see what type of character they are outside before they get in between the lines. Um, 
you know, for me, you know, again, I, I think that's, that's huge because I try to develop not just the, the physical relationship as far as like coaching them. I want to have that personal relationship outside because a lot of that has to do again, that goes with character. And that's one of my pillars in my, in my academy is, is character. What type of character do you have? Are you, do you respect the game? Do you respect your opponent? Do you respect your coaches? Do you respect your teammates? Are you the ultimate teammate? And I think that goes a long way, especially with you trying to go play at the next level, because if you're going to be a shithead, nobody's going to like you. You know, if you're not, if you're not there to push people, uh, you know, I think about, again, I think we all saw it, you know, the Michael Jordan comment, you know, I, I push people when I don't want to push people, when they needed to be pushed. And that's the ultimate leader in two. And that's one thing we try to, we try to uh, get out of the kids out of the academy here is we try to push them to be leaders. Um, you know, for example, one of the things that I do every single year and I've done it, we have a whiteboard, a big, long whiteboard, and it'll have like kind of the daily schedule per se on there. But the first one that I did, I wanted to see how they would react to it. You know, are they going to be the ones that are seeking help constantly? Or are they going to figure it out and find ways to, to perform a task? Right. So I just put on there like uh, receiving prep or blocking prep or throwing prep. And they would go, you know, I'd have like five guys come over to me and I'm instructing on the other side because I got a younger group what do you mean by that? What do you, what do you want? What do you want us to do? And it's almost like, sometimes it's like, I don't know, you got to figure it out, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and then I got to see some of the older kids starting to lead. Hey, let's try this. Let's work on this because I given them a buffet of drills to do because I don't want to master drills. I want to get in here in this environment on this side, uh, separate from your warm up station. And we're going to go, you know, balls to the wall, game speed right here, maybe even above game speed as much as we can. So again, I just, that's what we're trying to attack. We're trying to attack, you know, trying to find leaders uh, and guys that don't need to be guided so much. Yeah, we're there as kind of a sounding board. We're there to, to throw ideas off to us, but ultimately it's about you. And I can't coach robots. I'm going to coach guys that, you know, have an idea or want to want to gain you know different ways of of doing stuff it's you're almost you, you got to be a thought leader you got to figure it out on your own a little bit yeah no that's you got a lot of good stuff in there and i i totally agree i mean the season is just it's too long to to have that bad attitude and then you, before you know it you start seeing other players on the team being dragged down by that one person who has that negative attitude and uh I, you know I, i'm a hitting guy so i don't know much i mean i know enough to be dangerous about catching but um <laughs> uh and i know like for example hitting's contagious right so if you right. got a guy who's negative and bringing everyone else down before you know it team's not gonna be doing well so absolutely um before we started recording you you were you mentioned that one of the things that you're emphasizing more now with your with your catchers is uh how to call games and you know the the biggest thing is, is kids aren't watching a lot of baseball in general right now and I guess it's, it'd be easy for us to just rip them and be like oh, lazy don't love the game but right. the fact of the matter is is they have just so many more options than we did when we were growing up for sure which wasn't that long ago at least I yeah. tell myself that 
Um, so take, take me through like what, how do you teach them about those, those specific things that maybe you would like for them to watch during the game, but since they, they're not right now, Tyler has to take it into his own hands and teach it to him on, on his own time. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think first off, uh, you know, yeah, it's difficult to, to look at a pro game versus maybe the level that you're at. And, and the first thing that I tell these guys is that number one, and you hear this from a lot of great catching minds that I've been able enough to interview or talk with. It's always starting with the strength of that pitcher on that day. What does he look like? And I think feeling is, is, is the other thing too. What are your, and it's not so much like, Oh yeah, you know, Oh, it's cold outside. No, it's what does your body feel like that day? What, you know, and that's understanding his psyche, his mental, his mental state. When he hops on the bump, is he confident to throw this pitch in this count at this time against this hitter, or if he has any doubt and you can sense the doubt as a catcher, because you're paying attention to what he's doing. You got a lot of things going on in, in the background, right? You're watching where the, the hitters feet move. Is there a guy on base? What's he doing? Is he taking an extra step to get a lead? Is he going to go? Um, how many outs there are? What's the scoreboard telling us? And that's the first thing that I always tell the guys is, you know, what are your strengths are, but also what is the scoreboard telling us? Are we the home team? Are we the way team? Are you managing the game? And some guys just don't think that because again, let's like you said, they're not watching baseball, you know, maybe just flip on the, it in the background, maybe once in a while when you're doing homework or something. But um, what I've developed too, is I've developed worksheets and it's funny. We'll take, I'll watch games. Like I said, I'll, I'll go home, watch games. My wife probably doesn't like me doing that all <laughs> so often, but uh, because baseball is always on, but that's fine because I love the game, but I'll watch games and I'll, I'll take segments, you know, I'll screenshot segments or something like that. And I'll, you know, make notes and timestamp them and say, okay, and I'll make worksheets, you know, what pitch was it here? What does this guy have? What's in his arsenal, et cetera. And then I'll have those guys kind of fill it, fill this um, worksheet out and they'll send it to me and then we'll discuss, you know, why would you do this? And it's hopefully, you know, it's interactive enough to where the guys can um, participate and feel like it's okay. Like I said, you know, we're in this big think tank. We're trying to figure out, you know, what is a, what is a good, easy enough way for me to remember for when I get an opportunity to call a game. And so I think that's just the biggest struggle too. And, and, you know, the coaches, the high school coaches, and, and I'm sure, you know, I could be wrong. I was fortunate enough, but my high school coach let me call my own game. But prior to that, we had conversations talking about how to call a game. And I don't think coaches do that anymore. Yeah. They just don't take the time. There's zero effort put into it. You know why? Because, you know, they probably are worried about, uh, I don't know, the W. I don't know. I don't know too many high school coaches whose jobs are always on the line at, at baseball, right? College is different. College is different. And I remember Skip Burpin making a, a comment, the legendary coach at LSU, I will never let a catcher call a game because my, my, my job's on the line. His isn't. And, you know, say what you will – what is that going to do if that kid has an opportunity to go play professional baseball? Now he's behind maybe two years, maybe a year, depending upon who's teaching him how to call a game, or is he just going back there and throwing numbers down to guess? So again, I think number one is, you know, I always encourage these guys, 
watch game. There's a kid that I, I'm fortunate enough to work with out in New Jersey. Uh, he has to watch two games a week. And, and that's kind of, you know, it's not a demand, but it's a requirement for us to work. And I think it's going to help him in the long run because he's going to see different things that maybe somebody else doesn't see. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's a, not an exact science, I think, but um, we'll, you know, it's, again, it's a practice, it's ongoing. So I don't know if I have the right answers to it, but again, I think number one, you got to look at the strength of the pitcher. And then number two, you, you got to look at the scoreboard, what the situation tells you. What, what about what the hitter is doing too during the at-bat, how he's taking pitches? That's a great, great one because I remember I had an uncle that was a pitcher um, and he made a great comment one time. You could, there was, he, he faced Hank Aaron at one point and he said Hank Aaron would hit the ball uh, like he was late on a pitch. And it's like, well, I got him. I'm going to throw him another fastball and I'm going to throw it inside to break his bat, to break his knuckles. And he would turn on it down the line, the left field line. And you're like, okay, did he just totally toy with me so I think the hitting stuff is important as well um watching what they're doing you know there's guys that have open stances why do they have open stances maybe they don't see the ball very well so do we go inside do they have a closed stance what does the closed stance tell you so I think stances are important to look at watching how like you said how they take pitches it was it on purpose was it fooled um how they hit foul balls is it a true foul ball is it a is it a uh Again, is it something that they're setting themselves up for the next pitch too? Um, so I always, when I was catching, I always caught, uh, kept that in the back of my mind about the Hank Aaron story from my, my uncle and how I approach it. And, and, it's a, and it becomes a guessing game, I think, too. It's a chess match. Like, what is this guy thinking? What's my next move? Um, can I double up on this pitch? And I think that's the other thing too, is we don't double up enough on off-speed pitches as catchers and pitchers because maybe the command of that first one was, was not very good. He didn't execute it. So I'm going to back away from it and say, okay, you know, here's your fastball. Here's your, your, your one, one fastball or something like that. And it gets tattooed. No, why can't you double up with that pitch? Or we throw a lot of three, one, you know, fastballs or uh, why can't we throw change-ups there? Why can't we throw sliders there? Um, and I think that's at times too, it's, the hitter's going to tell us what we can and can't do too. Um, scouting reports are important as well. So not just them in the box, but what are we doing prior? You know, how does he, how does this guy hit? And I think at the, the lower levels, it's a little bit harder, especially at maybe some travel ball stuff. You're going again off the strength of your pitcher that day. And then you got to adjust during the game. You got to adjust pitch to pitch. And I always tell the guys that I work with from a hitting perspective, I said, good hitters, in my opinion, again, good hitters, you know, at, at a, uh, let's say at a youth level, how long does it take a hitter to adjust, um, you know, their swing or their mechanics or whatever. And I always say it's, it's probably by a two week basis, right? Every two weeks, it'll take somebody if that, that's dedicated, that's in the cages hitting to make a change or to adapt or to adjust, you know, high school hitters, it might be weeks, you know, or excuse me, a week uh, adjustment, you know, college hitters might be every two games, lower professional players might be game to game. And then when you get to the big leagues, they're adjusting pitch to pitch or at bat to bat. And so, you know, 
and looking at this, so if you got a guy that's not very good at breaking balls at the youth level, well, yeah, we're going to throw breaking balls if our pitcher can execute that pitch. At the, at the high school level, you know, this guy is going to take two weeks. Maybe we see him down the road in, in, in the playoffs. You know, you know, he might make an adjustment. We got to be prepared for that too. So scouting is extremely important as well. It, it drives me insane when I, when I watch a pitcher throw a fastball and the hitter is clearly late, clearly late on it. And then they, the very next pitch, they go to an off-speed pitch and he just hits a missile somewhere. Like, you, what are we doing? What, I mean, what, or, and you brought this up in what you just said, why aren't we doubling up? Like, he swings at a slider in the mm-hmm. dirt, not even close. And then, oh, we're going to give him a fastball right down the middle of the next pitch. And, and now he gets a single up the middle. I think some of it's just, it's to your point, we just have, you just have to constantly talk to these guys mm-hmm. and, and let them, <laughs> I guess at times maybe let them have it. But, I mean, just it, it has to be a constant conversation until it becomes just ingrained. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do well. One of the things I will say, though, about just having worked with seems like a bunch of catchers is I think they're more open to new things mm-hmm. I would say and I just I've noticed this from even at the professional level down to high school college ever, just all the player hitters I've been able to work with is it just it always seems that the majority of hitters I work with are catchers and I don't know if that's because they're open to some of the newer technology or it's because they see the game differently yeah. and I don't know what it is but um, that, that is something that's crossed my mind several times that uh, a lot of the, a lot of the catchers who are hitters are open to to trying new things and being challenged and maybe so maybe that that has something to do with it I don't know I, I think that's a great uh, great perspective to have you know when I was playing and, and I don't like saying that but I always thought to myself like I should be a really good hitter because I'm I'm thinking maybe I thought a little bit too much when I got to pro ball, but pro ball is hard. It's hard. I mean, you got guys that can command and execute three pitches. And then you got on the other hand, some guys that can blow up by you. Um, but I thought that was a, that's a really good perspective to have, you know, maybe why are they open? Because they have to, I think some guys for me personally, uh, I was always open to try new things because I wanted to, um, you know, I, I, I never saw the end of that tunnel. And I always thought that each day I could get better. And I think, for instance, like, you know, talking about catchers, you might work with guys, a lot of catchers. I think we sometimes we feel like we're on our own island. You know, everybody criticizes us for being not very good. And I think about like, okay, Joe Maurer, was he a power hitter? No, but the guy could absolutely hit, uh, you know, uh, Buster Posey is the other one that comes to mind. But the toll that it takes on a catcher's body from behind the plate is insurmountable. Uh, I just remember, again, not not to talk about myself, but going through a stretch where I caught 11 games in a row, and that mm. was with zero days off in between. And some of those might have been extra innings. And I can remember, I don't think I – I think I would go up to the plate and just try to be a shadow of sorts. And, you know, maybe every once in a while I'll try to roll my shoulder and get hit because I was dog ass tired and had no clue what I was doing. I was thinking about defense, right? 
And I always tell the guys these uh, in today's game, I was like, man, I really wish I could have caught for both teams <laughs> just in some cases, just because again, it just physically it's tolling and mentally it's tolling because you're not thinking so much. Yeah. I'm, if I hit, I'm a, I'm, it's a bonus for us. Um, if I move a runner over, it's a bonus for us with less than two outs. If I put them in a scoring position with less than two outs as a bonus. Uh, if there's a guy at third base with less than two outs and I hit a sack fly, it's a bonus. Uh, that's the, you know, I didn't look at it that way. And I always look at it as like, you know, it's a selfless job. Catching is a selfless job. And if I can contribute something with my bat, if I can put the ball in play and make the defense feel pressure, then I did my job. You know, I had to look at it that way. And that was at that level. But, you know, people always often ask like, well, you know, how would you rate yourself as a player? And I said, well, I was probably more of an offensive catcher than I was a defensive catcher. Is that because, you know, I had a strong arm and people didn't run? Probably at the, at the earlier stages. And as I got older, you know, I was probably better receiver and, and game caller. Um, I was the occasional pick guy. I shouldn't say occasional. I picked a lot, but hit, my hitting went south. And uh, when you're up in pro ball, dude, you're on your own. It's job, right? And that was the thing about me. It's like, you know, well, why wasn't I a better hitter? Well, because I was thinking too much. I started to take my thought process about attacking hitters into, you know, my own mind about when I was at the plate. So it's such a, it's such a unique thing. But, yeah, I think we're, we're open to a lot of excitement because we've been on our island, you know. I think now even today's game, I know this is kind of long-winded here, but now in today's game, catchers are getting um, evaluated and there's value placed on receiving. There's value even placed on blocking and throwing, you know, uh, but watching catchers move the ball. There's guys that, that are at the big league level that can't throw or, and can't really hit, but they're there because they understand their pitching staff super well and they can move the baseball or they can catch the baseball really well. Yeah, I've always said what you just said right there is I'd rather have a catcher who hits 210, but the, the dude can pick it, he can frame, he can handle, he can throw a little bit, handles the pitchers extremely well. Um, that, I think that's crucial. I mean, and I, and I can't even imagine, speaking of, of blocking, uh, how lonely that run has to be to the backstop when you when you're oh my, I mean I, I played outfield and there was a few time a few times where you know, I'd go in for a completely just miss a ball and it go all the way to the wall and you're so mad when you're running back there that you actually don't even want to run hard because right. you're so pissed off at it. It's it's just it's a tough feeling, but uh, yeah, that's a good that's a good way of putting it. Being on that lonely island, I've never even really thought of it like that. Um, yeah, let me say this real quick. It was funny. We, we were interviewing Tucker Barnhart one time and it was, you know, it's going about hitting and, and, and going about catching and blocking and, and letting balls go to the backstop, right? So Tucker made a really good point. He had said, he goes, you know, from a hitting perspective, there's always probably somebody behind me that can pick me up, right? Uh, you can get bailed out from your swing. He goes, from, from a catching perspective, though, if like you were just saying, you, you feel like you're on that island, you, you're making that lonely run to the backstop, there's nobody to bail you out there. And so that's why I think, for instance, you know, uh, why defense is so valued from a catcher's perspective, you know, okay, yeah, Posey can rake because, you know, and so he's going to be, he's probably the top 
catcher, you know, Molina's obviously improved his hitting over the years. He's become a fine wine. He keeps getting better behind the plate and keeps, you know, he's as solid as they come behind the plate, probably the best catcher of our generation, maybe of all time, but he's starting to hit now more. And, uh, you know, just again, like I said, from us, that is the worst feeling in the world when either a ball hits off our mitt or we don't get an easy block and we have to run back there. Because again, nobody can bail us out. Only we can. Now, theoretically, can't anybody become, I guess you have to have some hand-eye coordination, right? But can anyone become a really good receiver and blocker? Because I think I, it takes, that's from a throwing yeah. perspective, you have to have at least a little bit of arm strength, right? I mean, right. I, I would never – I could do as many weighted balls as anyone in the world. I mean, I'm never going to have the arm that Yadier Molina has. But, <laughs> right. but, but let's say, like, I work with you all the time and, you know, we're getting after it. I mean, there's no reason, right, why I couldn't become an elite receiver, an elite blocker, handle the pitching staff extremely well, call the right pitches. I mean, it would mm-hmm. take a ton of work probably more work than a lot of people would be willing to put in, but theoretically, couldn't anybody do that? I, yeah, theoretically they could, but I think still it takes a very special person that says, okay, I'm going to let the ball hit me. You know, I think reactionary wise, um, if I have a ball in my hand and I'm going to turn and, and Patrick, you and I are five feet away from each other. And I throw that ball at you without you really knowing, but you start to see this object coming at you what are your, what's your reaction going to be? You're either going to get out. Yeah. You're going to get out of the way or you're going to put your hands up. And I think from, from that perspective and and the kids that I train, the young kids that I train, we have to try to develop something that's instinctual, right? Our instinct is to move or put our hands up in defense. And we have to get past that and get them to understand and trust that what you're doing is should be an instinct supernatural like you're going to open up a doorknob right or door handle you're going to open up a door just think about turning it to the right i know to do that there's a ball that's coming and it's not going to hit my glove in the air my instinct is to turn my mitt over protect the five hole and throw my body at it or try to hit it in my belly and square it up as much as i can can we get people to do that absolutely uh can we get people to become elite receivers 100%. I think one of the big things that you're seeing now is the transition of a lot of infielders to behind the plate. Like I think, for example, Austin Barnes from the Dodgers and Will Smith from the Dodgers were both middle infielders. JT Realmuto was a middle infielder in high school before he became a catcher. You know, Tony Walters um, came up as a, as a second baseman. He's behind the plate now. Jan Gomes was a third baseman, and now he's primarily behind the plate. So I think the list is endless. If we're, tr- if we're looking at it that way, yeah, absolutely. People can be taught these skills. But I think it still takes a special person to do it. Again, you know, um, not to plug anything that, that we've done, but we, I host a podcast too, and we had Tony Walters on. He says, I try to play catcher like an infielder. And he goes, sometimes it gets me in trouble because I pick, right? Because infielders want to pick. He goes, other times, though, it goes, I, I try to be as athletic as I can to put my body in front of it and to say, you know what? I got this gear wrapped around me. I'm going to be fine. I got this mask on. I'm going to be fine. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it can happen. But again, I think it does take some sort of uh, uh, a person with the, with an elite mindset that they're willing to go back there and sacrifice the bat. A lot of guys don't like going to behind the plate because you're going to sacrifice a little bit. Like we said, you know, a few minutes ago about taking a toll on your body. Yeah. I think that's why Bryce Harper, right. They moved him to the outfield. I mean, Absolutely. for that specific reason. Um, right. I remember Tony Walters, he's actually my age, and he uh, we graduated the same year, 2010. He has no idea who the heck I am. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but, but I remember playing uh, against him in Jupiter, Florida. Yeah. And, and then I saw he got drafted as a middle infielder too. Mm-hmm. And then a few years passed, I'd even – and then I out of nowhere, he's with the Rockies. He's a, he's a big league catcher. I'm like, where yeah. did that come from? I never, <laughs> ever saw him play anywhere besides middle infield or maybe even like a little bit of third base, if I remember correctly. And then he's just a catcher. So that's a good point about the middle starting off middle infield. And then it kind of goes to show you that you can stay middle infield all the way through high school even, and still make the transition and become, I mean, potentially like, you know, like what he, where he's at a big league catcher, but absolutely that's, yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if that's also just do with, you have so many different arm slots you can throw throw from too. And you're you're just, you're used to being, off balance sometimes um, right so take me a little bit into like what's it like going like what uh, at your facility like what do you guys do how does yeah. it, it lay out I know we had started talking a little bit about it before we started recording but I uh, just wanted to hear a bit more about <laughs> what you guys do yeah so it's a it's an open gym type concept and um, sometimes that's confusing to people sometimes it's not but uh, I'm always there I'm the facilitator uh, I like being there I like you know, it's not, not a control thing, but it's, you know, to make sure that we're getting quality work. And so a typical day looks like, you know, they're going to show up a half hour ahead of time. Um, they're going to get their J band work in their arm care work in. We have arm job stuff that they'll do. Uh, we do a modified version of, of driveline, um, just focusing on the shoulder strength and we throw footballs. We throw a lot of footballs. We'll have weighted footballs that we'll throw and this is particularly if you watch football and if you follow somebody like a Tom House, he makes a very good uh, point about watching the arm action. And it's very similar to how we throw. And I always tell the guys, like, you know, number one, there's, a, there's density in that ball, and it's, but it gets your arm in position. You can't throw aggressively and hard with a low three-quarters arm slot, right? Um, so we do that for arm mapping, arm shaping. But I tell the guys a lot, I said, you know, Guys, have you ever seen a, a quarterback have Tommy John surgery? And they're like, no, 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 I haven't. So mm. it's like, it's a good point. Um, we use a lot of tap conditioning balls um, or excuse me, connection balls that you put into your kind of in your uh, forearm uh, slot here to, again, to promote, you know, keeping uh, a tight uh, arm action. We do a lot of receiving prep stuff. So I'll have guys that uh, – you know, we'll do disc toss. So I'll take a Frisbee or a cone saucer and have guys that'll work on their pre-pitch glove movements or or mitt movements, um, focusing on making these movements extremely big and, and going with the pitch, using the pitch velocity, et cetera. We'll do tennis ball, uh, one hip uh, uh, skips. So they're keeping their thumb at six o'clock, staying through it, uh, bringing it back to the core or the center of their body, the sternum area. Uh, from there, we'll, you know, again, we'll do a lot of different 
stuff. I'll put different stuff on the board each day. Um, like I said, uh, you know, earlier that I, I'll put maybe like one word answers or one word things, statements out there that'll say, okay, receiving here, or, uh, focus on X. And then they'll be like, okay, well, what should we do? They got to, again, try to coach themselves. Um, like I said, I'm trying to find leaders over there on that side. So my, my, the facility is split in half. Um, we have one side that's kind of like a, uh, I don't want to call it a pitching lab because it's not long enough to be a pitching lab, but we have a plyo wall and J-band hooks. Um, and then a lot of that equipment's on that side. And on the other side, we have three to four pitching machines. Um, we're getting another one now, so we'll have five. And on that side, once they're done with their kind of pre-rec warmups, they'll come over and we go through a dynamic warmup. And I make the guys always warm up with their gear on, helmet included, mm. because mm. I want them to get used to, well, number one, I think it's a test to see how loose your gear is. We're trying to promote athletes behind the plate. We're not trying to promote cloggers, right? And so that's the first testament to see how loose your gear is. And then I always have them do what we call kind of ball control drills. Uh, the first thing that they'll do is they'll jog down and they'll transfer the ball in and out of their mitt forward and then they'll backpedal back. And if they drop, we start again. And sometimes there was one day, gosh, I want to say, you know, because they do a half hour ahead to do their pre-work and then they do an hour with me. Uh, but I think the first day, or the first or second day we, we did warmups for 45 minutes and they got like 15 minutes left. And I'm like, guys, this has got to get better. This is about focus and control and you can control your focus. And so we'll do a lot of that. We'll, they'll juggle back and forth. Uh, then they'll go behind their back. Then they'll go between their legs, kind of like basketball. And again, it's just controlling the ball. And I, and I picked that up from um, a very good junior college uh, that's nearby. They do a lot of ball control stuff, but they do it stationary, but it's Iowa Western coach over there, Mark Reardon. He's a tremendous human being, very good coach. But a lot of that ball control stuff is something that I picked up from him. And then we'll break up into two lines. And <clears throat> we'll first start with rundowns. And the reason why we do that is because these guys don't practice it with their, with their high schools. They don't practice it with their youth teams. So they're working on rundowns, following the side of the throw, not cutting across. If they cut across, I get pissed, and we might do some push-ups, some calisthenics, something like that, just to, to make sure that they're, again, staying focused. And then they'll – same thing, rundown, and then I'll have a catcher that'll slide in, actually slide. They can slide on turf. They got the, their shins on, and we, we're making tags. Um, we're making aggressive tags. We're doing a 360 turn and we're going and that guy's tossing the ball to uh, the guy that's in front of him. He then slides in, tag, tag is applied. Uh, after that, we do blocks. They throw blocks to each other. Uh, they recover. They tag the guy. There's a, I, I have those um, pro batters, I think is what they're called, uh, one on each end. And they'll tag those as though it was the batter or something like that. He swung and missed on a drop third strike. Uh, after that, again, some days we start very chaotic. So that's just the dynamic warmup of it. So we'll institute different things here and there. But um, each time or each day, things change and we do something different. We might, we might go place the plate. We might go um, bunt plays. We might go 
uh, mass receiving stuff, different pitch shapes. Um, but we try to attack the big three is what I call it. Uh, you know, and I'm sure other catching guys have said it too, but receiving, blocking, and throwing in some capacity. We might not throw a lot, and that's okay. Some of these guys are doing other things, other programs where it allows them to throw. They might be catching bullpen. So we're very light on our throwing in October, November, December. And then we start to pick it up really big, hard, and heavy in January. And there's guys that want to go to, you know, showcases. So we we focus on that. So one of the, the things that I forgot to mention is I always have a sign-in sheet asking the guys, how does your body feel? Uh, you know, are there things that you want to work on specifically? Do you want to throw? And if they say yes, then I will typically split that group up or that, that function up. If we are doing a throwing drill, okay, maybe guys are just transferring, but I always make them finish their throw with their holding the ball on just so they stay natural with their arm action. They don't become choppy like Henry Rowan Gardner from rookie of the year when he would get here, uh, you know? So we always try to keep them fluid. Uh, but there's guys that'll throw some days and guys that won't throw. Uh, so that's just like a, a typical day. Like I said, we'll go real slow some days and then work to fast. And then some days we'll work really fast and, and, and kind of taper off. But everything that I try to do inside here is designed to replicate the game as much as possible. So there's days where I'll actually come in and pitch. I'll, now, I'm not throwing from 60 feet, six inches because I couldn't get the ball there. But <laughs> I'm throwing probably at about 50 feet or so. Um, one thing that, you know, when you're sitting in the pen and you're not, you know, playing, what are you doing? You're learning different pitch grips and shapes and how to throw different pitches. So that was something that I, I wanted to add to myself, my arsenal as a, as a coach to throw breaking balls and change ups and cutters and things like that. So we'll actually have, I'll pitch, uh, I'll have a batter, um, I'll have a catcher and then I'll have an umpire and one of the catchers will be an umpire just to say, okay, you know, focus on this, what do you got on it? Um, and then there's days where we'll take two of the machines and I'll actually have some of the guys be able to get some swings in, but you know, I'll, I'll tell the batters, Hey, stop, everyone turn, look at me. Okay. Here's what you're doing. You're going to fake bunt push through. And they know if it's a fake bunt push through, they're throwing behind the runner or something like that. So again, just trying to, to bring as much in as possible um, as much game-like stuff as possible. And then obviously we, we do focus, um, kind of call it block training, right? So today we're just going to focus on right-handed sliders um, and what your mitt, mitt load or mitt trigger is doing and, and what your move is back towards the plate. One of the, one of the things that is talked about so much is the pop time from the catcher position. I know the showcases and all that stuff. But in actually in games, which is where it matters the most, are there any tips that you tell your guys on how to improve their pop time during an actual game? I know from a showcase standpoint, I mean, we could all cheat and just stand up yeah. straight. I, which yeah. I think a lot of people do, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're so side turned, right? Right, It looks right. like they're getting a feed from the shortstop or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, you know, I, I will say this first, though. If you look at a pop time, right, uh, from a showcase, so let's say somebody's a 189 or, or let me do the perfect game one. Somebody's a 177 at perfect game pop time, right? 
And that's with him overextending his left foot stride in front of the plate. In a game, he's probably still going to be under two, okay? Um, and the, the other thing that, that we try to do uh, in our academy is when we do a lot of our throwing drills, we always have a batter in, in standing in. And I have him use pool noodles, so I cut him off the length of a 34-inch bat. But we always have him swing pool noodles, so they're always distracted when they're throwing. Or I'll tell the, the batters, again, hey, stop. Uh, catchers that are throwing, put your eyes down. I'll say, guys, fall over the plate. See what, they, what the reaction is. Um, as far as any in-game tips, you know, I always tell guys we need to receive the ball as close to our body as possible. If you watch middle infielders move, again, this is going back to the analogy with middle infielders that can be converted catchers. Everybody wants to get their momentum going towards second base as much as they can. When in fact, we want the ball to be our momentum uh, builder. And so I say, guys, the, the one guy that I love watch to throw um, is, is Jan Gomes. And Jan Gomes has the fastest pop time on StatCast to date. I think it was 168. He Whoa. threw out Brett Gardner in Cleveland. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember if it was 2000. 14 or something like that but it was 168 and it looked like the ball didn't even hit his mitt it was just like the Omar Vizquel like I'm going to transfer the ball quickly and it was out now did it have much velocity on it no I think it was like 72 miles an hour so I think number one you know driveline had posted a article oh gosh uh two years ago talking about how arm strength is the most key and accurate thing well why is driveline telling us that because they're you know they're that's what they're in for. They're, they're helping to build velocity. They're a velocity builder uh, program. Do, do you need to have uh, arm strength to throw to second base? Yeah. Do you always? No. There's a lot of factors that come in play. Um, what's the guy's lead over at first base? What type of runner is he? What's, what am I getting from the pitcher? All I can do is help my cause is get it and get rid of it. And I always say use the ball as your momentum. So it's going to take a longer time. If my hand is overextended and my mitt is out front, it's going to take a longer time for the ball to get from my mitt to my bare hand. So always think about telling. So a lot of drills that we do with the guys is we use this mitt by all starts called the donut. And it, and it's one of the old, it looks like an old training, um, excuse me, old, uh, old time mitt, right? Where you had to catch it with two hands. But if you catch it directly in the pocket, and that's the other thing, too, we need to talk about as well, uh, is about pocket awareness and pocketing the baseball consistently. But if you pocket this ball in this mitt, uh, it sucks right in, right? So what I'll have the guys do is I'll literally have them post this mitt right against their chest and see how long they can let the ball travel. And then I'll have them put it straight out in front. And I'm like, mm. okay, just here's the contrast of it, guys you're extended think about the time it took you to and number one your sequencing is going to be off because your your lower half is going to be ahead of your top half right and so you're going to have zero power and then you're probably going to be down here and throwing an arm slinger kind of like Thurman Munson used to throw but if you get it all the way to your chest think about how much uh, power you have and when you're doing that I always tell guys, again, this doesn't work for everybody. It's just options. It's explorations for these guys to try. But almost like you're taking a mini drop step back because everybody wants to go forward. Yeah, you, wanna, you want forward momentum. 
And I'm going to try to do my best to describe this, but your right foot is your directional foot. Your left foot is your stride foot. And I always think about telling people about if you've done an ice skater uh, movement when you're, you're working on speed and agility, kind of propelling off the uh, inside of your, your um, gosh, I don't even know what it's called, um, but inside of your ankles. That's kind of the momentum you want to feel with your feet. So your right foot and the ball is traveling. Your right foot is going to drop a little bit behind to become more of an anchor and a plant foot. So when you get that ball into your, your bare hand, you're driving forward as fast as you can to second base. So again, I think depth of the pitch or how, how closely you catch it to your chest is very key. That allows you to have optimum control of the baseball. And then, and then allowing that ball, again, kind of load you in your hip and then driving off your backside. That's to me is very effective. I found it very effective with a lot of guys. Have we done case studies on it? Yes, we have. We have a lot of video and a lot of data that we've done with it. And, and I think personally, what happens in that six foot radius box or that dirt patch where the catcher works from is more important than what happens on the release, right? Um, another another uh, catching coach that we were able to interview, he always talked about spin and rotation of the ball that one of the most elite throwers in the game um, would spin, backspin it and try to skip it off the dirt. Like he was almost throwing it at the dirt. And so we tell a lot of the guys too, hey, we got to create spin. We got to create spin. We got to create spin. So uh, those are just some of the things that we can do. I don't know if that entirely answered the question, but um, again, just uh, an opinion of sorts. No, that, that was very, very detailed. That was, that was great, good stuff right there. Um, I just, I, I, I think you, you bringing up and, and showing the statistic of, of Gomes, who has the fastest pop time, and yet his velocity was only 72 miles an hour. Right. Um, that opens my eyes. I mean, that's insane because <laughs> you see some guys, I think I've even seen some guys up to 90 miles an hour yeah, yeah. from um, behind the plate, but yet I'm sure they're not throwing a one six seven. No, no, no. So no, I, mean, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, you see 92 miles an hour in the, in the statistics 2.0, whatever, 2.06 or something like that. Did he get him? Yeah, probably. But he had to be extremely accurate and precise. And that's the other thing too, Patrick, I forgot to mention accuracy is everything. If you're not accurate around the bag, you could have the fastest pop time, right? And throw the hardest, but uh, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna get the guy. We're about results. We're not about man. Did I throw that guy out or did I not? Am I? And and from a scouting perspective, right? So you have these you have these PBRs. You have these perfect games. You have whatever USA trials. I don't know what else. Yeah, we can cheat it, right? Uh, but it does me no good when the ball is on the shortstop side of the bag and I have to catch it. So tag time is involved in a lot of it too. Mm, good point. And we're, we're about the result. And, and from again, from my perspective and the people that I've uh, – and I'm close to and the friends of mine that I have that are, that are higher up than in, in, in the catching world – they talk about the accuracy. Did we get them? Did we throw the people out that we're supposed to throw out? And I think that's what's missing in, in today's game. 
did we did we throw the people out that we're supposed to throw out are we accurate or are we just worried about that number are we consistently accurate or do we do we throw you know what's our throwing percentage is it sub 20 percent if it's sub 20 percent we're not very good but if we have a one seven eight pop time that doesn't mean anything that's not you being a good catcher and i think that's why we we overvalue that and i don't even want to call it a statistic right it's not a statistic it's not a metric yeah it's valuable but the run game has gone way down you know you're not seeing ricky henderson steal 100 bags anymore you're not seeing guys steal but 20 bags anymore right that's it so that part of the game has gone way down awesome this is fantastic information i i can already tell you this is going to help out a ton of people who are who are listeners of the podcast tyler appreciate you coming on absolutely um, make sure to go uh follow tyler on, on social media on twitter at good row catching at good ro catching on twitter I'll put the link um, in the show notes to make sure you follow him. Go check out his website. We'll put the link in, in the show notes for that too. Um, so Tyler, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. This is a blast. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out to Omaha this year because of the, the virus and everything, but uh, I know I will be getting out in the future and I'll have to come uh, check you out, man. Absolutely. Thanks Patrick. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all you do for the game. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.